0: You are listening to W-R-U-U-L-P, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesneau, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I have the pleasure of interviewing Matt Toole. How would I describe you?
2: Um, I refer to myself as a sculptor, but I do work in metal and found object. I'm
1: gonna read a little bit from your bio. Um, You grew up around the barrier islands and salt marshes of Savannah been a resident artist in Aberdeen, Scotland and Cork, Ireland, as well as in Wisconsin and Minnesota. I love the gamut there. Mm -hmm. Basically cold weather places, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And now you're the owner of Tool Sculpture Works and you create contemporary art, custom furniture, lighting and other unique objects for home and garden. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well thank you so much for being with us today. I'm happy
2: that you've uh come to say hey.
1: It was so cool to come here Thank and you. see your workshop. It's incredible. I can't wait to show some photos it's of it a, in our social media. It's
2: a moment inside my mind. Which can be it's vast. It's
1: <laughs> fast. Yeah. Full of, it's full of danger yeah. everywhere. Danger Stuff. in every corner. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous tools and imagery.
1: And, and a sweet dog. Thank you. Around. That's
2: my chocolate princess, Me. <laughs> All
1: right, well, we'll start off so you um you went to you went to Georgia Southern and you got a BFA. That's correct. Did you study sculpture at that time?
2: uh yes uh, i was an art student and at that point they would designate 2d or 3d okay. so i was a 3d um, student and did metal work metal yeah. casting welding and also a lot of ceramics. they
1: had that at that early they did yes career. that's yeah.
2: where I, I first explored pouring uh, melting and p- pouring metal wow. um, which for a pyro was quite an eye-opener
1: for a pyro (laughs) yeah
2: and so ceramics also uh building kilns and running kilns
1: yeah i guess it's all about heat all of it right it
2: is yeah yeah
1: did you so when you were a kid were you already getting into art or when you went off to college you already knew you were going to study that how'd that go
2: yeah so as a kid i you know growing up in the salt marshes and on the islands i played in the woods built forts made ramps rode my bmx bike Mm -hmm. Uh made little things out of found objects uh sticks, and we had a garage that looks a lot like my studio, okay, which is filled with stuff not as well organized um and I would just go in and just make things I've always had the desire to be making objects yeah. and some of them some of them were makeshift instruments or we made hockey sticks out of. Uh, palm fronds, you know, they have the curve to them, yeah. And I'm not a hockey player, we don't have hockey in the south, but we we play street hockey, yeah, with like a tennis ball. When
1: you say we, you mean you and your parents, or you and your friends? Uh, Oh, my
2: friends mostly, yeah, yeah. uh, and and my siblings, uh, the sister, uh, and three stepmothers that are all older than I am,
1: okay, uh, yeah. So, So when you went to college, you were like, you were set, you were doing sculpture, and you know, it was a conversation
2: with my sister, uh, when I went to college, um, after uh, growing up. And through high school it was in this order sports socializing or maybe socializing then sports and then academics Uh, and that's kind of what I was uh, interested in then college I asked my sister what should I study and uh, she said well you've always been making art so why not study art or sculpture and um, I said,
1: okay, that sounds
2: that sounds like the right direction. So we
1: can credit your sister for all that. Absolutely, yeah?
2: absolutely. She's given me a lot of good advice.
1: Do you remember, like, when you were in college, what you imagined that you wanted to be as an adult, what you wanted to do with it? Oh,
2: you know, just uh, the greatest artist in the world. You think, yeah, you'd be yeah, a fine artist, and, and yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was one of those things where... Um, I've wanted to create since as far back as I can remember, and how I did that um, wasn't known. So, uh, being an engineer, uh, being an architect, uh, we talked earlier uh, about biology, zoology, and love yeah. the environment. I love where I have grown up and and living in this place, and how much the environment is part of our everyday lives
1: right. and how much time uh, you spent outside and how much
2: yeah because playing outside all day long that was you know the fair old kids of generation x where yeah. you come home at dark yeah. and in the summer that means you're out from 9 a.m to 9 p.m all over these islands and um, so uh, if it weren't for my distaste of algebra and <laughs> trigonometry i might be an engineer but um, so I engineer things all the time now, I just overbuild them to make sure that they're uh, going to stand up. Um,
1: did you, did you um, so when you graduated from your BFA, did you go right into master's program? No, no. I, you know, I, I wanted
2: to, I, I, in undergraduate school that wasn't even, uh, I wasn't even thinking about that.
1: Yeah.
2: I knew I was going to do something in art and uh, so from undergrad to grad school I had three years to consider my direction and I ended up moving um, to Atlanta and I worked as an art mover and installer
3: okay.
2: um, throughout Atlanta some of the big buildings uh, high-rises different you know significant collections um, yeah. both personal private and uh, corporate and I would go all over delivering and installing art.
1: I would imagine that gives you a lot of information about like how to construct your own things in the future to make them easier to move, like, Absolutely. to think about how to even install it. If you consider all that.
2: Yeah, and I worked with museums and things like that, and so I, it gave me some insight into the museum studies avenue. Yeah. So I could install artwork for a show evenly and at the right level and, you know, effectively I could make parts that support um, artifacts, uh, things like that. Yeah. Um, And I got to know some folks in the business. It just, I wanted to be on the making side. So I found, I was moving someone's bronze sculptures that were figurative bronze sculptures and uh, she needed a model. So I modeled um, for her clothes.
3: Okay.
2: which you know, either way would have been fine, but uh, would have been it would have cost me more if I was naked.
1: Of course, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but this was after Italy lost the World Cup back in the early '90s or mid '90s, and uh, this the guy that it was a shootout, and he went back on his knees and covered his face, and I had to hold this pose on the on the platform. Bent back on my knees, holding this pose. So she worked from photographs a lot, also. But talking about that led me to the Inferno Art Foundry. So I was more interested in the making, and I pursued. I went to to them and said, "Hey, could I join you at your foundry?" Inferno Art Foundry.
1: Inferno Art Foundry,
2: which was about an hour south of Atlanta in Noonan okay so I drove from Atlanta to Noonan.
1: is that still around um,
2: it is it's now in Peachtree City so okay. yeah the the, get, the the man that owns that still uh, running his business and they're going strong
1: so you worked there for a while after the art moving
2: I did yeah I worked yeah. there for a few years and I saw while they um, while we were working I saw I met some guys that went to Georgia State and they were doing iron casting with a man named George Beasley. And um, I went to a George Beasley iron performance at, at King Clow Art Center. Mm. And once seeing that, thinking back on my pyromaniacal tendencies good word. <laughs> I've used it a few times. <laughs> um, I was like, I need to know that guy. I'm going to go to Georgia State. I'm going to meet more of those students,
1: yeah.
2: and then I'm gonna to go to graduate school. That that was the moment I decided that I would pursue, continue pursuing um, art making and yeah. learn iron casting. In more of an
1: intellectual way. And, and
2: as absolutely as well. a professional student. What Did, you, did, did you say music.
1: it was iron performance? Is that what you
2: said? So no, George Beasley would, would present uh, the process of casting and what he has dubbed the ritual of making as his performances and so that's what really sparked my interest Okay, um, was to it was the melting it and the pouring it was the act that really drew me to the event because as a kid again playing with fire building fires this is not uh, environmentally friendly i wasn't paying that much attention as a 10 year old but Taking old plastic milk jugs, catching them on fire, and, oh. and listening to it drip, and it would go, whoop,
1: whoop, whoop,
2: and it was this kind of...
1: <laughs> and the smells.
2: Cy- oh, yeah, well, it's it stunk too, but yeah. just, you know, playing playing in a pit fire or, you know, cooking stuff.
1: That's because I could see then you're going off to grad school to do it in this more, like, intellectual way. It's almost like, yeah. like you were a performance artist, it would lend itself to filming it and then being, like, a filmmaker. and. Yeah. You know, well, sound even, design even.
2: Even like. those, yeah, in those areas, um, and, and I've not considered myself a performance artist. I've always considered these sculptures as performance sculpture. Uh, where I'm the kind of the stage hand, mm. helping it do its thing. And, and thinking about artists like Jean Tingle, uh or, or Chris Burden, who is a performance artist. But Jean Tinguely made all these metamatic machines that were works of art that made works of art and that's kind of where i fell in but but yeah presenting the process as um the uh the art form yeah it's kind of like taking the object the the object becomes secondary to the act and that's really kind of yeah you're
1: about the process yeah i'm
2: still a maker of objects
1: yeah is it also like the perform like the showing it to the public Yes. yes them
2: like marveling at it this thing they don't really yeah. say. if it, they yeah. marvel or they pity or they <laughs> despair or go this is a hack and i was thinking about a, a writer in ireland that reviewed my work after a performance and uh it, it was it was not complimentary <laughs> but
1: you always remember eh, those eh, things, they right?
2: didn't They didn't really understand the context, which is fine. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. everybody doesn't have to like it.
1: So they felt despair. At the
2: uh, they were, I think, aggravated that they even showed up.
3: Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so, whatever. Okay, I, I have some four-letter words for them. I don't care. You
1: know, I don't care. So, so, then, so you went off to grad school to delve more into this aspect of it. and then Yes. Were you thinking, I guess at that time you already know, like with your MFA you could be a professor eventually with it. Yeah,
2: you know? that, that didn't dawn on me until yeah. partway through um, that that was going to be an option. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to be selected for a, a number of artist residencies. That's, yeah. that's how I ended up in Scotland at the Scottish Sculpture Workshop That's how I ended up in Wisconsin at the Kohler Artist Industry um, uh, Residency, Minnesota, Franconia Sculpture Park. So I was traveling around post grad school, uh, actually in grad school doing iron pours, which is that the social aspect, which is kind of where I'm starting to focus a little bit more. I'm interested in the people and the communitas the community of people versus the the geographic location uh and and i've made so many friends around the world um with this uh with iron casting but uh uh, just having gone to those places to be uh, an artist in residence which was great i made tons of work and created uh, lots of uh, fun things that some I've still I, I still own some I've burdened my friends with okay. like giant sculptures <laughs> uh, and then also built a pretty significant debt for not having a proper job <laughs> so teaching them was like hey I think I should labor of love. get involved in the educational
1: I mean, it's cool that there were this many residencies available to you, like in grad school and post grad school, that you were able to get into. I imagine it's super competitive because there's already so few for like drawing and painting. So I'd imagine for your field, it's even smaller. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you got to go when you go to Scotland and Ireland for these things, and you just said you make tons of work in them, but you, you know, you can't like bring these incredibly heavy metal things home with you? So they just no. stay there, right? Yeah. And
2: kind of donate them. Some are site-specific. Uh, the first thing I went over to do in Scotland, and that was in 1999. I would have been in my second year of graduate school. And I went to a three-year program mm-hmm. because I wanted it as long as possible. Um, and I went to Southern Illinois in Edwardsville. And it's a metalworking program that was run by um, a man named Tom Guipe. And um, Tom has since passed away, um, and he was a, an excellent professor on professionalism, um, elevating your game, and he really understood metal and how, um, how you could manipulate it, both casting it and forging it. He was a blacksmith. Um, and then we had interesting um, uh, induction furnaces that used electricity to melt, but then we ran Uh, Coke-fired cupolas and gas-fired furnaces, all technical stuff. Can you
1: you explain the difference between casting and forging?
2: Yeah, casting is using, um, well, it is melting and pouring. So you take the metal to a molten state and what is called a superheat, which is just slightly higher than its melting point, a little bit higher than the melting point so you can use it and pour it before it sets back up and cools and hardens. Forging is um, heating to a point where you can bend and manipulate. It's malleable and you shape it. You can also melt and then do forge welding. That's when you melt the two surfaces together and you hit them with such an impact that they're forge welded versus using a MIG welder or stick welder or a different type of welding um, process. But uh, they're slightly different in uh, melting and pouring and heating and yeah. bending
1: this is incredible like, just the thought I, it just occurred to me when you were even in undergrad i would imagine it's such a like dangerous field where there are tons of i mean just a lot of i would like you're in college and you're kind of an idiot a lot of states very much calls so like, still it's, am <laughs> it's kind of wild to think of like kids that age and you're working with this incredibly yeah. <laughs> dangerous field
2: you know what it, it is dangerous It it Getting burned is not if; it's when yeah. and how badly. So, mitigating those risks by wearing proper safety gear and being informed, uh, and and we had to take tests uh, and and do all that kind of thing. Um, about safety and proper operational
3: yeah.
2: methodologies, and, and that was really important. But yeah, people got burned, and I still, when I run a, a welder, a little bead of metal, and you see sometimes this is the idiot part, I weld in running shoes. Oh. <laughs> I don't run in the shoes, I, I weld don't. it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: you run in your welding shoes. Yeah, I
2: run around <laughs> dancing because there's a molten bead of metal in it. But uh, no, it's just it's hot as hell. Should you just
1: sometimes. be wearing a suit of armor in general? Yeah, like just night? like
2: a long leather coat. Okay. Um, which adds another 10 degrees yeah. to our already 110 degrees It's funny, so, yeah, all the,
1: the places that you went on your residencies were all extremely cold, but now you've settled back yeah, in well, the yeah. bowels of hell yeah, in Georgia. Yeah, it's kind
2: of, you know,
1: that's, that
2: actually, uh, explains in some fashion why most of those industries are located in those environments.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, there are, certainly there are iron casting places in the South, um, I I worked at one in college for a little while, but for the most part, most of those industries were built in northern climates.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Pittsburgh. Just
1: for the fun of keeping yourself a little warm. Yeah,
2: yeah. At least, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) It gets pretty hot, but but, uh, yeah, we deal we deal with it pretty well though. But the safety is really important. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, So that so in your your post uh, grad school years, you eventually made your way back to Savannah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after your residencies
2: the residencies were amazing i got to travel a lot in that time yeah. and i had built this giant tower with yeah. a furnace at the top to pour iron off uh and splash it everywhere and unfortunately onto people sometimes that was that was a mistake my the ropes that kept people back were yeah. far enough back
1: but, oh
2: um, wow no one's died. it was a difficult no lesson. one is died. Yeah. um but yeah it's it's hard to gauge how, <laughs> how far that's going to splash but um
1: is that why you can't go back
2: to Minnesota? Now? No. <laughs> uh, no, I'm welcome back in Minnesota. Um, I can't go back to Minnesota to live because of the winters. Yeah. And uh, I lived in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, for a winter and a half. Um, and that half winter, uh, two weeks prior to my departure, I was like, I'm done. Yeah. There are a number, (laughs) one, you don't see the sunlight, and turns out seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. You don't know that when you grow up on the beaches of Savannah, Georgia.
1: I understand, I studied abroad in London, so I understand that. Oh yeah, the
2: gray skies, yeah. yeah. It it was an eye-opener. So I drove home uh, shedding layers uh, from Minneapolis to Georgia, and I arrive in Savannah, you know, 25 hours later, um, driving out of the snow in the, you know, in a storm with, you know, a, a parka and,
1: yeah.
2: you know, everything bundled up. It's like it up. A
1: movie montage.
2: Yeah. And then I'm in, coming into Savannah and I'm down to shorts and a t-shirt and I get out and everyone's got parkas on and it's right. 48 <laughs> degrees. And I'm like, what's wrong
1: with you guys? <laughs>
2: So um, I re-acclimated to the south yeah. so, Now uh, you're one of those
1: people Yeah, right?
2: yeah okay. that, I'm wearing the parka <laughs> And then I hurt my back from being A big knuckle dragger uh, And I can pick that up <laughs> And yeah, so I had some disc issues And it was hard to walk And yeah. that's a terrible, terrible thing But uh, So all of those things coalesced And I was like, it's time to go home And doors opened for me um, When I came home yeah. uh, When I came back to Savannah, a friend incidentally who went to the university of Minnesota who I know through iron casting. Her name is Hannah. She was working for Jerome Meadows. And so she introduced me and she came here and got to know my mom, became friends with my mom before I even moved back. So, um, she was really nice. And, and, um, so she introduced me to Jerome. I started working with Jerome. Um, and so I was a studio assistant to Jerome for a, about a year or so, wow. a couple of years, and then Georgia Southern called, the professor, said, hey, you know, we've got some teaching position, what do you think? Oh, yeah? So I went up to Georgia Southern and taught for a couple of years.
1: Is that So what year was it that you moved back to Savannah? Uh,
2: it would have been 2003, Okay, maybe. Okay. I graduated um, in 2000 from Southern Illinois university in edwardsville that's okay. with my mfa in sculpture
1: and then you started teaching at georgia southern At
2: georgia southern yeah. um, and i taught there for two years and it was it was full-time but not a permanent full-time uh position mm-hmm. um and and thankfully the professor pat Stedman, who taught me uh metal casting years prior asked if i could come and teach with yeah. him and he let me run the, the advanced classes, which was great. I got to learn the operations of the sculpture department. Yeah. And I worked with uh, the ceramics professor as well, who was one of my undergrad professors. Many of them were still there and, and helped me. Um, I'm thinking of who I refer to as my wo-mentor, my woman tour. Uh, Julie McGuire, who's an art history professor and, and a, a maker of beautiful things, Yeah, she really taught me how to teach.
1: Well, that's cool. So you coming back, it's this interesting, like, the combination of all you professors there where you had these professors who'd still been teaching there since you were there. So they were, like, experts at teaching but hadn't worked in the field in a long time. Right. And you're coming off of completely working in the field and hadn't yeah. taught at all. So you both are bringing a lot to
2: it bringing some new energy Uh, um, bringing some insight and just the uh, students
1: probably really liking hearing from somebody who was just working in all of this what it's actually like some
2: probably (laughs) some did appreciate it (laughs) some some did not that was uh, a little little difficult really Um, that went through to to SCAD as well but hey the program here in Savannah for a while was to feed the major so you could be a painting major and take sculpture in Savannah or a photography um, or fashion. So we had fashion students, photography students, oh, yeah. um, metalsmiths that were smaller but still sculptural. Um, and they'd stay in Savannah, but the few that wanted to major in it, they would go up to Atlanta. Yeah.
1: And I know there's this interesting thing that I guess is still here where you you're... Your major is called painting, but beneath that you would be, you could have been doing like ceramics or performance or right. something like that, right. but you're going to end up with a painting major.
3: Yeah, it's
2: a catch-all. Like their
1: umbrella.
2: That's right. And, so like back when in my undergrad, it was 3D.
1: Yeah.
2: It wasn't sculpture and metals. <laughs> it wasn't blacksmithing. It was just 3D. Yeah. And so I think painting is now, that's what it's reduced to in terms of the fine arts.
1: <laughs>
2: painting, which is great. Which is fine, but it could be more diverse.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's an interesting way to term it. That at graduation, you have somebody who's like doing literal paintings next to maybe somebody who's doing metal sculptures, and you're yeah. coming out with the same. It does. It's not really a hugely yeah. descriptive term, right? right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I know a lot of painters who make objects. Yeah. And they call them paintings, and I go, okay, <laughs> convince, <painting>. me. <laughs> convince me, convince me.
1: The painting matter. is just coming forward off the wall towards your Yeah, you, right? I'm
2: trying to think of that Greek sculptor that there's fascinating because they also have fire in them. That's why I like it. Oh, them.
1: okay.
2: Yanis uh, Kunelis. Yanis Kunelis. And he makes these steel sheets with like a, a, a hose, a, a, a copper stem with a little flower and it shoots fire. It just has oh. little flame coming out. <laughs> and it's a sculpture. Yeah, it's sculptural. Af, but he calls them paintings.
1: I guess because of the way he's thinking, is it's he content forms it together. Yeah, it's is just content. Yeah. painting, yeah. yeah,
2: which is fine, and, and I will deem that acceptable.
1: Yeah, he stands
2: <laughs> <out>. <laughs> but you give this shit, but I think sorry, I watched my legs.
1: Well, also, I mean, I think. You could be working in like you could be working with paint and sometimes people would call it drawings because of the way that they're thinking as they apply their materials right
2: and you know it's so open to define right now I mean to strictly be I am just this I am only a sculptor I am only that if I and I, I make drawings they're meant to be placeholders in my mind and kind of sketch out ideas I have made paintings Um, This is just, I I like to work with tools and materials. Um, But I think right now with uh, new media and uh, artists are always exploring new media and new materials to communicate because material has language. Um, And it doesn't really matter if it's called a painting and it's a sculpture or if it's called a sculpture and it's a painting, whatever, It's, it's art. Yeah, that's true. and, and like just for
1: it. yourself, you don't want to feel like you like I am this thing, and then maybe you mm-hmm. put this tiny self-imposed limitation on yourself. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. next I feel like, oh, I'm inspired by this. I do want to start working in fire, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, be able to just do what you want.
2: I, I, I like to, you know, when you were asking about uh, your worker or what, what do you call call yourself, and I said I'd like to be called a sculptor because yeah. what that to me implies is a maker who thinks. And artists are thinkers that make. And some don't make, and I was listening to your, uh, one of your other interviews with Farron and, and thinking about Jeff Koons. And I've had this ongoing love-hate relationship with Jeff Koons, his process, his objects, and him
1: yeah, uh, the men You
2: know, and he's on the hate uh, currently. Not that we need to be hating anybody. I'm just uh, not appreciating him in this process that much these days, but you don't have to put your hands on the materials to be a creative person. And certainly uh, creativity can can manifest in so many ways. Um, you know, and, and, and it, thinking that you could be in another field altogether. A surgeon, for example, yeah could be creative a banker and there are a lot of creative bankers apparently making a lot of money but you know you can apply it in different areas but as a creative maker those that are invested in the art making uh, it's a it's where you spend your time thinking and while I do weld and I make functional wares and objects my head is always thinking of the fantastical. How can I take it to the fantastical versus the practical? The practical is what pays the bills, yeah. which was a teaching position. Now it's,
1: yeah.
2: I weld things for people so that they give me money so I can make art. The perk is I'm always in my studio. I always have art underway.
1: Yeah.
2: And then I ha- I have opportunities to work with other folks and now currently working with clients and just having that back and forth and certain clients they come to me because they want to work with me personally and I i am flattered by that and I am so happy to work with some people on their projects and give them what they want yeah. through the skills that I bring and and I'm enjoying that i I'm i feel very fortunate and blessed to have tool sculpture works and i'm year six and you know it's steady steady moving you know i I don't need to be a big corporate entity i don't need to have a hundred employees i you know i i get apprentices that want to come in and learn and i'm happy to teach because they want to be here and they want to learn and i love that so uh, it's a good place I I just went on a little tangent I was thinking
1: it's cool for your commission work it's cool that it still is you know for some people doing commissions it's just very dry and it's somebody like there's not a lot of thinking and collaboration so that's awesome that you are happening to get clients who it's like their brain power and your brain power and it still it still feels like back in grad school where you're thinking and talking about stuff yeah and and sharing
2: ideas and going wow and you know like the apprentices I was talking about it's 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 multiple minds coming together to solve problems and it is an absolute uh, pleasure to spend that time in that headspace and uh, while it isn't all the time, um, there's a lot of practical problem solving and another thing that really is hard to deal with in terms of business owners, I have to be concerned about profit, the the profit and that is gross to me not I'm not afraid to profit uh and I do want to profit because you know certain perks come with that in life but it making bottom line profit based decisions yeah um which I see a lot happening in our society certainly in healthcare and certain educational scenarios I don't like that I I don't think that should be the best uh the the pinnacle of decision making so I'll, I'll cut it off right there but it's, it's hard to do
1: sometimes.
2: Right, that balance. Yeah, right. the, the balance,
1: That's, exactly. Yeah. This is a good, um, all right, well, this is fascinating. This is a good time. We're gonna take a little station break. We're about halfway through. Everyone, this is Tamara Garvey, and I'm with Matt Tool, and we will be back.
0: You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.
3: Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannahtree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Rider Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday more information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com.
0: What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to wruu.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station 107.5 F.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I'm with sculptor Matt Toole. Welcome Matt.
0: Thanks you.
2: I appreciate it. Thank, thanks to all of you. Thanks to,
1: <laughs> thanks to all five of the listeners. Yes. <laughs> um, when, let's see, when we, uh, we went to the break, we were kind of working our way through your life, and you were in Savannah, and you worked at SCAD as a foundations and then a sculpture professor from 2006 to 2016. And I want to get into um, just your actual, like, bringing up some more current day, how you're balancing your business, because you have this really fascinating mix of... Um, you do a lot of public work sculpture and then you have a thriving uh, private commission business and then you also are doing a lot of fine art sculpture. So I kind of wanted to ask, um, it looked like in 2022, you did a project for the city of Savannah water resources um, and they were rain garden flowers. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Oh, that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, anytime I can do a project that has an artistic outlet, that's that's kind of the golden mix of profitability, enough profit to warrant, uh, you know, my studio and all the tools and things in it. But also, it becomes that uh, sculptural, purely sculptural, making sculpture um, and getting paid for it, and that's great. Yeah. Um, and uh, Laura Walker, that works with the city of Savannah um water resources reached out through the ogeechee river keeper and they were considering ways to help uh jacob g smith uh, deal with water runoff from their building because they were having a lot of um water retention issues around the building where there would just be puddles for days and okay. mud puddles and it was trapped inside and the buses couldn't get the kids because there'd be you know 10 foot three inch deep puddles and so yeah they just made a big depression and then the two flowers are meant to have the water run off of the building and through the flower into the pond. And it was a way of redirecting the water in a creative fashion. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out who's gonna run the water to the flower. So it's not yet completed. Um, I hope it is very soon, but uh, uh, The flowers were fun.
1: So are the flowers out there? Like they're on site? They're
2: on site. Okay. They've been there for a couple of years now.
1: But what is the deal? The water isn't actually connected to go. Going- there should
2: be a downspout that goes out to it to carry the water off the roof. And, yeah. and I think there were some, I don't know what happened. It wasn't in my department. Uh, but it seems easy enough. to. I think it was more or less they had to put out a call again to another business. Wow, okay. I don't know what happened. Okay. Um, And I'm probably not saying what happened correctly, but it's still not yet connected, but those flowers look cool out there. Yeah.
1: And then then that same year you also did the, you did part of that public storm drain cover project, which I talked to Dana Richardson when she was working on her storm drain. Right. Yeah. So so yours, it was interesting because a lot of people's was, uh, they were just were like out there on site painting on the storm drains, but you actually were fabricating a design on yours. Right.
2: right? that was a great project, again with uh, the water reclamation, and that was, it preceded the storm drain project, the official storm drain project, which was a, a wonderful way to have artistic uh, interpretations dotting the city,
1: yeah.
2: around the city, and you you go to it and you just happen to see it and go, wow, what's this? It's, you know, and, and that's kind of the mark of a big creative city. And, and, and while we might not be a big city, we're a, a very creative city. And I like to see those things that the, when city governance starts to get involved. Yeah. And, I, and I attribute that largely to Laura and her vision of wanting to include creative problem solving. Um, the flowers were that. Um, i sorry,
1: this is Laura, Laura who?
2: Laura Walker okay. with uh, Water Reclamation, City of Savannah. And we also used uh, lampposts, so those flowers, the stems are inverted lampposts oh, okay. that have been knocked down by drivers, Upcycling, yeah. so, so, so we upcycled as well, <laughs> um, but then when we got to the, um, uh, the utility covers, which you can see in, in my studio yeah. here, these are the patterns, so these were cast in iron and then using color epoxies we put the color in so um, Kelly Lowe who's with Repurpose now um, she's a doll and a friend and she used to work with me and she and I through the Keeper Riverkeeper um, devised the imagery which is the flora and fauna yeah. of the Ogechi River he Basin. you did,
1: did four of these? Four we signs? did four of these.
2: Okay. Um,
1: They're really intricate designs that she came up with. I'll post photos of these Yeah, two. Yeah, yeah.
2: She, she did the drawings, um, and one of, one of them, which is inside the playground of Jacob G. Smith, so folks can't see that one okay. um, unless you're on the staff, but it's an image of an alligator in a bathtub yeah. with a stork over it, and it's cartoonish which is, I wanted the kids to see that so that they were, you know, kind of entertained it's by the it. most
1: childlike one, right? Right, yeah.
2: and it was, it was meant to be educational so they know when the water goes into this drain, it goes to those animals. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and
2: they affect those animals. And that was part of the boxes we were checking through the Riverkeeper and through the water reclamation department its education and, and around the school that was part of the educational component
1: yeah and the whole I mean the whole project was a so I guess some of them are around schools but they could be anywhere in the city it's just to educate the public that like throwing something into the drain is that yeah. directly going into the river yeah the and how yeah. it's
3: going to
2: affect the wildlife
1: people don't assume that right? yeah. yeah
2: even people that are avid um, fishermen and hunters sometimes don't realize what goes into the water so if you pour pour motor oil down the street drain, it's gonna kill the things you wanna go out and see. Right. So we have to be mindful of that, and I, I think educating children, early on, education is the key in so many ways.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, these were, these were a lot that of fun. And these were cast by uh, the Master Craftsman Program up at Kennesaw State University, and through a former student that I had at Georgia Southern, yeah. Who then went to graduate school at SCAD in Atlanta in the sculpture program and then started teaching uh, at Kennesaw State okay he started the master craftsman program and so I contracted with him we sent them the designs and it's part of a student uh, educational component where the artistic pra- practices that we have uh, developed and honed our skills in yeah these are actual municipal applications that are part of our part of our city and uh, cities in Kennesaw as well. So.
1: That's so cool. There's generations of, you know, you were taught and then you went back to be teaching at your school and then That's you taught right. the student and then later end That's up right. hiring him for something. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's lineage. It's, it's, it's how we as humans pass on knowledge. Yeah. It's accumulated knowledge.
1: And then um, there was a final project that I thought was really cool. In 2021, you um, did a sculpture collaboration at the garden and play space outside of the Children's Hospital at Memorial.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. So the arbor, I'd love to see it now. It's been a you know since 21, so yeah. um, it was meant to have uh, I think Jasmine
1: trained on it. So oh, so yeah, at this point the garden will have grown. Oh, yeah, it would yeah, yeah, we'll,
2: we'll have, yeah, it will will have you know cool. done its. It's job, and so I had these nice lines. I've got great photos of Kelly and I, so Kelly and I worked on that one uh, together. Um, I've had some great um, apprentices, mostly are young women that want to know how to weld and and make in metal, which is not exclusive territory of men. Yeah. And in this iron casting world that I'm in, there are several... um, very um, skilled uh, leaders that are um, that are women. That's and it's, it comes through an academic conduit. Yeah. So uh, many of my mm-hmm. teachers have been like my mm-hmm. will mentor.
1: I love that also I think, you know, for girls and women as we're young, maybe people don't, Parents don't naturally take you aside and mm-hmm. teach you these things in their garage like they maybe yeah. do for sons. So when you're yeah. an adult, you can seek out these things yeah. to learn.
2: Yeah, which is interesting, uh, and that's true. And some dads take their daughters in, sure. My father passed away when I was very young, so I learned better how to match carpet curtains in my clothes yeah. than I did working on a car. I still don't know how to work on a car. So I came, I came later to the, the more uh, kind of... I'm using air quotes and yeah. masculine arts, the macho
1: side of life. macho. Yeah, the
2: ma- I came later to that, um, which maybe you
1: really leaned trait. hard into it.
2: I probably, probably mm-hmm. it's the fire part, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I come from a matriarchal family, um, mother, sister, grandmother, her her sisters. Um, so we were very, very. Um, so you know, I know how to sew. Yeah, well, not very well. <laughs>
1: Um, and the, again,
2: just to say that those those kind of at one time gender-specific uh, uh, jobs or skills, yeah, they no longer apply at all. And I'm very happy about that. Thank you. I'm very happy about
1: that. I have a, so just sort of like a dumb question. I don't know, speaking from the side of people who don't work in metal and just like the sheer scale and like the weight of everything around, how do you like as you're building something in your studio and then you have to move it to a site how do things just get moved around how does this go
2: well um that might explain one reason why um (laughs) i've had a lot of physical therapy on my back but also the presence of the forklift uh, technician here today Um, i think the the overarching answer to the question is building it Uh, where it can be dismantled so it's um, modular Um, but there is a lot of heavy lifting when you're dealing with um, cast concrete, cast bronze, um, iron, these um, iron um, utility covers probably weighed about 40 pounds each Um, and you got to be strong so in a way it's, it's part part exercise (laughs) <laughs> lifting heavy things and, and uh, you know working with your body yeah. working within your body's means um, and again, working smart, not hard and as a younger man I worked hard I didn't work as smart right,
1: right.
2: Um, that's where the ladies that couldn't use brute force to pick up something stupid heavy they would work smart and they'd get a dumbass like me to do it, or a forklift Fork, and work, okay. just work smarter. Yeah, so, you're so in the pro- you're, that's what I'm learning from. You're in
1: the process. You've bought a forklift and you're trying to like soup it up or get it working. Just to get it working. What? Yeah. So what have you been using up until now? Is it just like a flat truck? Like what kind, What yeah. vehicle do you smart, have? Smart,
2: smart women. Okay. <laughs> just a truck. Okay. Yeah. And a trailer. Yeah. And making it um, modular. And then if I need to rent lifting equipment, I can rent lifting. equipment. Equipment. so I can outsource okay so
1: I want to talk I mean, we haven't talked much about like your current business but on your website I thought this is so fascinating there's a section where you talk about your work and it's divided into these four categories where it's fire sculpture outdoor and home which is very cool and so the fire part could be like fire pits and lamps and screens and, and then in the outdoor section you have gates and stairs if you're building a staircase for, for a client, how much of that is done here at your studio or are you, are you just like out in their backyard doing it?
2: Uh, some portions are, it's it's more uh, precise and preferred to build parts of it here. Mm. But certain things have to be built on site and staircases are one of those things. And um, I've done that uh, on site and it gets a bit tricky, certainly in the summers um, where it's overwhelmingly hot and you're trying to weld in direct sunlight and that gets really difficult. Um, But again modular, building parts that we can manage. I have made some things that push beyond what I can manage and I've rented lifting equipment, borrowed. through our friends here at Victory Gardens, who are great guys and gals, they help um, by loaning me a, a tractor once in a while. Oh, but, nice. Uh, yeah. So, my forklift is meant to be, you know, return the, the, the favor kind of thing, um, but it really is, is working modularly, um, building things, uh, preparing them to be constructed on site.
1: Okay. So they're almost like IKEA furniture. It's almost like tabs going in, like yeah, just designing slap things in together. Yeah, in a, yeah. And
2: so designing things that can be transported by hand by no more than two people, preferably, um, and then installed with nuts and bolts using mechanical fasteners, or bringing the welder out on site yeah. and welding on site. Um, and those things can both can happen. Yeah, there are lots of different types of metal. Okay, um, so you think about not to go into it too deep because this will this will be when the yawns happen but ferrous metals are based on iron and there are hundreds of alloys of iron and one of them is steel so cast iron is melted and poured in high carbon typically Um, those are going to be some of the more intricate um, designs downtown in savannah that have flowers and acorns and these recognizable objects, those are typically going to be cast where wrought iron is from a smelt, which is when you draw the iron out of the ore. That's when you heat it and it comes out and it becomes a bloom. Towns like Bloomington are named after the steel industry. Uh, Bloomington, Indiana at least. That's
1: crazy. I never knew that.
2: So a lot of terms come from metalworking, so that bloom is then hammered and made into bars, which are then folded and curled, which also happen um, downtown. A lot of this okay. was made from the Kehoe Iron Works here in Savannah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so when people have fancy gates around the gardens with the designs, it, like they're a combination of these two different kinds of metal. The yeah, bars and some
2: the of the older yeah. houses would most definitely be wrought. Some of the newer designs are going to be steel.
1: Okay.
2: So steel's been melted and poured, and it has a, a variety of um, alloys at different carbon levels and that kind of thing. Then you have non-ferrous metals like bronze, brass. Bronze has more, it's copper and mostly um, tin, and then brass is copper and zinc. Okay. Slightly different then you've got stainless steel which has nickel chromium in it then you have aluminum and aluminum's got different alloys so I'll cut it out right there but there's a lot of different materials and I work in stainless steel, in iron, in steel in and iron and steel and bronze
1: so know. as time has gone on and the environment has changed are certain metals easier or more difficult to get or things different
2: oh yeah absolutely it
1: becomes more expensive over Co- time.
2: copper right now is very hard to get it's yeah. very expensive um, so I use a lot of found objects because they've already been made. Yeah. They have a history, and both wooden found objects and then naturally formed found objects. And I, I like to combine the industrial with the naturally formed, and, yeah. and find that perfect, perfect kind of contour where one thing becomes another.
1: This is like for your fine artwork for your sculpture. For work.
2: fine yeah. artwork, yeah. yeah, and and yeah. I, I don't get to use um, the found wood stuff as much for commissions usually it's fabricating in steel like that gate that I showed you yeah. with the spath plant that we're making
1: I was gonna ask because I know you have done you know a number of gallery shows and you do your fine artwork and it, it is a lot of like upcycled found objects combined with metal how do you so like you know the metal can be heated and there's fire on it but the, the found objects I guess are just gonna like catch on fire how do you how do you meld these things together?
2: Um, that that is the that is the, the piece of sorcery that I have It's yeah. <laughs> not sorcery. But imagine if you've it, accidentally
1: it, burned up it, things that you wanted to use. Magic, yeah. Right? <laughs>
2: um, there are multiple ways of making connections. This would have been part of my 3D design class where you have mechanical fasteners okay. you have chemical fasteners and you have um, fusion fusion type fasteners so mechanical fasteners are nuts bolts screws nails velcro anything that physically holds is mechanical okay um, and the chemical fasteners are adhesives and if you couple the mechanical and the chemical together that makes it even stronger yeah and then I I have a faux, faux faux fake fusion by using um, epoxies I can fuse them visually and it looks like a piece of glass becomes a piece of wood that can then become a piece of metal okay and that's the kind of thing I developed just by simply making for decades, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: because looking That's at your this special piece, thing
1: you've come up with, <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I kind of think, yeah, it's my technique. I mean, <laughs> I don't own it, but this is a way of working. But like when we were talking about this piece, um, the fetish sarcophagus. Um, I'll post
1: a photo of the fetish sarcophagus. Yeah, yeah,
2: the the <laughs> skull and bones thing.
1: Yeah,
2: um, you see, I'm wrapping wire and things like that. Yeah. Um, from that point, it would have been 1994. I would have been a senior at Georgia Southern in the art department. to now I've developed these better ways of constructing, right. um, just through practice. And and the epoxy is a, just a way to make. Uh,
1: it's like a more sophisticated. Yeah, it blends. It. it
2: blends so that you don't see separate objects because they could be comprised of one, two, three, yeah. four different things. But they are blended together in such a way that they are unified. It really is, um, and that's a student piece. So I've got a, a good collection of student works um, from my 3D class, and that was something that I developed over my lifetime and yeah. shared with eager students that wanted to know everything <laughs> there is to know about making.
1: How do you um, <laughs> so in your business nowadays? How what? How do you balance it out? The kind of three tiers, right? Of like. I guess public works and then private commissions and then your own fine art, how are you balancing this?
2: Um, that's that's really a great um, question. Um, I, I take what comes to me and I don't say no if I don't have to. It's generally gonna be some kind of functional object like a gate, like a fence railing, um, like lamps. I make fire lamps. I tend to, those become the artistic ones but I'm not gonna do a hundred feet of run-of-the-mill fence. By the way, run-of-the-mill is a term from metal and, uh, and woodworking. So r- you run a common object through a mill. So it could be a two-by-four run-of-the-mill or the mill, mill work, different types of common components. But if this could be a run-of-the-mill 200-foot fence, somebody else can do that yeah I, I want to do the artistic side yeah some of
1: those were just like a company yeah. just putting out stuff
2: decorative handmade um, one of a kind yeah that's where that's where I want to be so I balance that by making art all the time and luckily um, I have a really great relationship with the folks at Sulphur um, Emily and John and yeah. AJ um, and Jennifer and Sam um, they've been so um, open to having me be part of them I'm very appreciative
1: do you have any upcoming fine art shows where we're gonna are you working toward anything
2: um, I am taking some things up to echo contemporary gallery in Atlanta cool. um, in the next few months um, pure art uh, shows ology uh, in October that's over with uh, Claire at Claire and Company, the ceramics place here. Um, just a hundred yards away from this shop. And that's uh, Wendy. Yeah,
1: right by Bonaventure Cemetery, right? It is,
2: right before you get to the cemetery, it's off to the backside oh. uh, of that building there.
1: And Farron, who I just talked to recently, had a she was in a show there and she had really good things to that's say That's right,
2: she it, yeah. mentioned Ology as well. Yeah. My wife and I also have we have a house down on Tybee that I've been working on,
3: oh,
1: okay.
2: and I take the same bag of tools that I use here down to Tybee and do home maintenance and create an experience yeah, of the yeah. space. And we are making
1: a crazy like Pee Wee Herman world. Oh well,
2: well that, would, that would be cool. <laughs>
1: um, that has been so fun and interesting and so unique and different. Um, is, thank you so much for being with us, what a pleasure.
2: I've uh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to blather, blather, blather. Is there any
1: final thing you wanna say about like being an artist in Savannah or just? Are you yeah, like, you know, yeah?
2: Uh, I will take this opportunity, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. But one of the best things um, about coming home Having left Savannah for 13 or so years to explore, see other parts of the world, coming home was the right move. And doors opened up. And while Savannah can be very small and insular, it is a more international cosmopolitan city than it has ever been. And a lot of that is because of all of the creative people moving here. And you could attribute that to SCAD but you can also attribute that to uh, the creative people that uh, are flocking to our, our region and this part of the world. A friend of mine and I are creating a music festival, which is going to happen November 18. Here at the Dairy uh, It's a benefit for Pegasus Writing Academy, which is also out here at the dairy and they help kids with special needs and now veterans. To oh, okay. um, um, have special needs as well, so put November 18 on your calendar. That's so exciting!
1: It'll it, be nice weather. Finally. It'll be nice
2: weather. Yeah, yeah it'll it'll it. be part of that summer that I, I wish that we had all year long. It's uh, well, it, fantastic. It I will not rain, sad. I promise. No, absolutely not. Uh, but we've got sound. We've got a great stage. Everything. Uh, the plug keeps going, but I'll let ah. it go. But thank you, Tamra. Of
1: oh, course. That. that Well, that's. Amazing to hear about. I hadn't heard what a nice surprise. So yeah. yeah, Thanks for organizing that. But it sounds like a great benefit. It's
2: a new venture. We're gonna love it.
1: Thank you so much, Matt Toole.
2: Thank you, Tamara.
1: Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah Magic from four to six PM. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews
0: and music. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul.